Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to Episode 5 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis, where it's 103 degrees. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas, where it's a cool 95 degrees. Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsors. Our newest sponsor, AppRiver, email and web security experts. You can find out more about AppRiver at AppRiver.com. PC Law from LexisNexis, a leading provider of information and business solutions. Get your free 30-day trial at PCLaw.com slash radio. And Clio, online practice management for attorneys at GoClio.com. In our last podcast, we surveyed the changing landscape for passwords and ways to improve password management. In this episode, we talk about a tech problem Tom and I have tried to solve over the years, with I think Tom having more success than I have. What's on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we are talking about harvesting the web and better ways to keep track of and read blog posts, articles, and other useful items we find on the internet. In our second segment, we'll continue with our new feature called Rant, and as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start using the second this podcast is over. But first, let's uh, get started with our main topic, and that's harvesting the web and, and what we like to say, ways to read it later. It seems like there are more and more great stuff on the web uh, to read and learn about. Before the before we recorded this, uh, Dennis was telling me about a really great article that he was reading about something, and I thought to myself, I'll never have time to read an article like that. I just don't have time. I have nearly 300 news feeds, which I think is, dwar- is dwarfed by Dennis's feeds. I check them every day, and I never have time to read all those great articles. But being able to save them, keep track of them, and manage them, I think after we're done reading, reading them is a real art, and some of us, I think, are better artists in this area than others. Uh, Dennis, this really isn't a new problem for uh, anybody, is it? Uh, no, it isn't. I mean, it really goes back to the early days of the web and, and just the whole notion of bookmarks or f- favorite managements. I, I I was thinking about this podcast. I, I went back to uh, uh, 60 Sites and 60 Minutes presentation I did back in 2003, and and my wife and daughter were actually in the audience, and I finished it, and my wife said, well, that was really good, except that you didn't really say like how you kept track of these 60 great places and how you got back to them. And so I thought about that, and the next time I did that same presentation, I spent uh, about five minutes or so explaining bookmarks and how to, to add bookmarks and favorites and how you manage them and how you could just with one click of a link go back to a page. And then I gave this the 60 tips. And I just got a, a lot of great comments after that session because so many people weren't aware of, of how to, to use those bookmarks. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that surprised me because I'm so used to doing that. The first web page I did really was a collection of, of bookmarks. So I, I've always been kind of trying to figure out oh, how do you okay, – so you find this great stuff – and you gather it, and you think you're going to use it later, and there's never really been a great way. And and so, and there's a number of problems with just bookmarking it, as, as we'll go into, Tom. But I just think now you're sort of, you're right, you're in Google Reader, you say, oh, this looks like a great article, but it's long, so I'll save it to read it later. And then you, you never get around to reading it later because there's so much new stuff coming in. 
Well, yeah, and I think that, that what you've just said indicates that there's a couple of different types of things that we look for when we're on, on the Internet. Uh, one of them are the, those articles, the things that we find, whether they're news articles or technology articles or, or whatever resources we find that, that we really want to read to learn from. But there are those websites that you may not have anything to read on them, but you know this is a site I want to come back to. I want to remember it. I want to be able to come back because I'm going to do something on this site a little bit later. Um, or, or this is a website that I need to, um, I, I use every day and I don't want to remember the, 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 the URL. And so I'm going to need to come back to that. And I think that each one of those kind of calls out for a different solution. Now I don't use bookmarks anymore, at least not in the way that I used to use them in, in terms of being on my browser. I, I do have um, maybe one or two folders of bookmarks for um, financial sites, you know, my bank, my 401k, those types of things, places that I need to remember how to get to my insurance company. Um, I have a number of sites that I visit almost every day that instead of putting in a bookmarks folder, I have on the, on the bookmark bar uh, in the browser so I can just click on the button and get to that site. But other other than those, I'm not keeping bookmarks. Now, I will say that I am keeping uh, uh, kind of historical bookmarks, bookmarks that I've kept in the past, saved in the past, things that I want to potentially go back to, but so far can't say that I ever have gone back to. I used to keep them in Delicious. Uh, when Delicious, uh, re, 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 they were about to shut down and then they were bought by somebody and they were reimagined. And when they were reimagined, I thought it was just absolutely horrible. So I wound up moving all my bookmarks to a service called Pinboard. I've been very, very pleased with Pinboard, but it's it's really just there as an archive of my bookmarks. Um, you know, Dennis, what, what are you doing in terms of bookmarking and are, are you finding ways to move beyond it? Yeah, you know, I, I'm doing something similar to you so that I do have, uh, I think it's just called popular in the Safari browser, but I sort of have maybe like 20 bookmarks of things that I go back to on a regular basis. And so I'm really using it for that sort of thing. So that's, you know, like my blog, uh, Twitter, those sorts of things where I, in some cases, I probably don't even know the the URL f for those things, like to the new LinkedIn book, you know, the catalog page, that sort of thing. So those are things that I know I can just go to that and and just hit it and, and do that. And then I'm using Google bookmarks, um, which I, I I'm so I have some hesitation about these days because Google, you know, sort of brings in new services and then gets rid of them, and so you don't know exactly, uh, you know, how that long, long that's going to last. And I'll categorize some of those. So I, it, it's almost like I'm saying with those, with the Google bookmarks, that stuff, I think, wow, that's really useful. And I might come back to it at some point, or I might want to, to read it. Now, historically, I don't do a great job of that. But if I categorize it, then I say, like for our parting shots, Tom, I'll, I'll, I'll just, that will be my notation on them. And, and when I'm looking for a parting shot, then I can just go and see what I've saved along those lines. The other thing that I really do is in Google Reader, I star items and I say, this is something I might go back to. Um, and again, typically I don't go back to them, but I'm starting to use that starred, uh, the fact that it's starred to run searches in that starred category, because it goes back a long, you know, as long as I've been doing it. And then I can say, oh, I remember I saw something about this. And I go into that starred thing, and then I typically find it. So it's like I'm using search, but on a much more limited set of things that I've um, 
harvested. I mean, it's sort of like you find and you harvest this stuff. And so that's, so the one step, the first step is finding, uh, you know, and, and this next step is harvesting, um, which I think I'm getting better at in a number of ways, but it's, it's the, the making it useful, I think is, is where things start to break down. And so, you know, I've done some weird things in the past to do that. And, and we'll talk about that. But Tom, is is that sort of what you're doing? There's sort of a harvest thing and then maybe like another step that you're taking? Well, I'm doing a harvesting, but I the one thing that's different with, with you and me is is that I I prefer ultimately to only have one silo for everything that I harvest, wherever I happen to harvest it from, whether it's an article I read on the web, whether it's uh, there are lots of white papers that I get or other articles that people, somebody emails me a PDF file of an article. I want to be able to keep everything like that in one place rather than go to my Google Reader place to look for that blog post or go to another place to look for that article and, and, and trying to remember, now, where did I read that? Where was it? I prefer to keep it all in one place. And I have a very, very specific workflow, but, um, but I, I, I think that, I don't know, I, I guess it's now as good a time as any to talk about that workflow. I will say that this will not work for everybody. Uh, not everybody will want to use the tools that I use or, or use it in the way that I do it. But the one thing that I think is that, that it's, it's very useful, no matter what tools you use, I think that it is incredibly helpful that whatever tools you do use have two specific features, or maybe three. One is um, being able to share it out from, be able to share to it from any place. Um, so if I'm in my Google Reader, I want to be able to save an article to a tool where I can read it later. We're going to talk about some read it later apps that you can use. If I'm on Twitter and I see a link on Twitter, I want to be able to save that link to where I can read it later. And there are tools that will allow you to save out from multiple different locations. So that's one criteria for me. The second criteria is the ability to share it out to any place. So once I've got the the article that I want to read into a location uh, where I can read it, and, and let's say I want to save it again to, to my silo, and we'll talk about my silo in just a second, um, then, then I want to be able to save it there, or maybe I want to email it to somebody or post it on Facebook because it's a lot more interesting than I thought it was. Uh, the ability to share it out to any place, I think, is also important criteria. And then finally, the ability to access it from anywhere, whether it's your computer or your iPhone, your iPad, your Android phone, no matter what it is, I think that's something that you really need to think about. Um, so at the risk of spending monopolizing this part of the session, I, I'm going to go ahead and uh, and and go work through my basic workflow on how I save information. And it starts with Google Reader. Uh, like we've said before on the podcast, I use Mr. Reader on the iPad, and I pretty much only access Google Reader through Mr. Reader on the iPad. I don't really use it on on the computer unless I'm going back to look at things that uh, that I've saved there for particular purposes. Um, when I find an article that I like in Mr. Reader, I will do one or more things with it. I will share it out to Twitter or, or to Facebook or to LinkedIn. But more than not, if I want to read that article later, I am currently using Instapaper. Uh, I, I think Instapaper is a great app. L recently, a new app, uh, and it's not a new app, it's an old app that, that was called Read It Later, has been rebranded as a tool called Pocket. And Pocket is very similar to Instapaper. I'm trying it now, and I, I, I like it as well. They, they satis Both tools satisfy all the criteria that I was talking about earlier. I save it to those 
into one of those apps. And then I then will go to that app and say, okay, I want to read a couple of articles when I have time. Once I read that article, I either say, you know, this is something I don't want to keep. I don't need to keep it. And I get rid of it. I try to get rid of as many things that I don't need as possible. But there might be an article that has some useful information that I want to keep or that has some things that I want to include for work and, and, and that informs my work because I read a lot of articles about e-discovery and records management. And so having Instapaper and Pocket have the ability to share out to the third part of my workflow, which is Evernote. And uh, it, the, the articles will automatically be saved generally to a default folder. But if you know the names of the folders you have, you can actually save an, a specific article to a specific folder. And I really love Evernote as a tool for saving everything. It is my memory of what I need so that when I think, where did I read that? I'm now going to Evernote and searching rather than going to Google Reader or then maybe to Instapaper or then maybe searching my desktop to see if it's there somewhere. It's all in Evernote. You can save PDF files, Word documents, audio recordings, images. You can save web pages. That's what I do. What I actually love to do <laughs> is to save the, the, the Instapaper version of the article, and then I can actually edit out all of the, the junk on the web page that, uh, that doesn't belong there. And so I'm just putting text in there. And you can add tags to each article so that I can search by tag rather than, uh, rather than just search for text within the article. And uh, to me, it's a really helpful workflow. So it goes from Google Reader to Instapaper where I read it. A lot easier to read it than if I like it. I then send a small, a smaller uh, number of articles through to Evernote where they pretty much become part of my my memory. So I don't know if that, uh, if that becomes too cumbersome, Dennis, but that's how I work. Well, I mean, it's at least three steps. So, I mean, that's that's the interesting thing. And and for me, I've, I've been thinking a lot about Evernote these days. And so I think that some of our listeners might say, well, why don't you just, I mean, don't bookmarks really make sense? Because why keep this stuff? Why didn't you just go back to the stuff that you, you find? Well, one is that, you know, the, the volume issue and then this incredible problem of link rot, which just seems like it's gotten worse, that you go back to the page and it's been moved and you, you can't find it or there's a paywall or, you know, there's all, all sorts of weird things that, that can happen. So there's this notion that you'd like to to save things and then be able to access them later. So for for several years, I had this, you know, which seemed like a great idea at the time. Whenever I found a web page that was really interesting and stuff, I something I thought I would want to read or could use in research for an article or whatever, I just saved it as a, you know, printed as PDF. And then I threw it in a, a folder called research. And that way I was going to capture those things and I could go back and it was searchable and, you know, I, the pages were always there. There's so many benefits of it. Um, you know, until I, I went back to to look into those things and then you would have the pages where, you know, the sentences went on past the edge of the page, so only you got part of the pages or only one page printed as a PDF. And so you didn't capture the whole thing. And then I sort of felt that research folder had become my miniature version of the internet. And, and, it, <laughs> and, and I was going, what the heck am I doing? There's not a great way to clean all this stuff out. It started to, you know, cr you know, create a lot of space. And so I, I backed away from, from that completely, um, you know, to do, as you said, I, I, 
Google Reader makes sense because I get so much stuff in the way of feeds. What concerns me these days is podcasts, so audio and video. Lots of great information there. No way for me to really track that that, that I've come up with. And so uh, you in, and if you're not careful about you know scattering these things about, when you actually want to do the research, you find yourself just doing a Google search even though you've collected uh, all these things. So I, I like the approach you're taking. And I think, uh, Tom, there's this one really important thing when you talk about Instapaper or we talk about Google Reader or, you know, uh, Evernote for that matter, is that a lot of people are going to be in situations where at their workplace, they may not have access to some of these Web 2.0 tools, you know, like a Google Bookmarks or, so, you know, uh, Delicious, you know, th those some of those things just might be blocked. And so then... Um, if you find things during the work day, then maybe you can't add them to the repository that you're creating. So that's something to keep in mind. So it's really good to for people, I think, to take a look at, you know, how how you gather things. So it, so it's again sort of how do I find things? How do I gather them? How do I harvest that? And then it's almost like how then how do I, uh, you know, to continue with the farming metaphor? How do I winnow down what I have into the stuff that I want? to use and kind of and store and then then look for the storage place so there's a storage component and then which i think evernote can do and then the access thing because if you're saving all this stuff like i did with the pdfs and then you're saying oh I'm, i need to write a new column and it's on this topic and i go out and, and i just use google to find new things anyway and then after i've written it i say oh yeah i, I had already captured some of this stuff earlier and i had pdfs of that and i just forgot about it because i was in a hurry to write the article you've kind of defeated the purpose. So um, I like your approach, Tommy, and, and I think the important thing of the Instapaper or you know those types of tools is it allows you just to capture the text of the article. And I think that's really important because of what I found in PDF where uh, you know, by printing it, you might not actually get everything on the page or, or even the whole site. So I, I think the workflow you talk about Tom really makes sense, and then and then I think it becomes a question of is it something like an Evernote is, is sort of one thing, and then the other thing that maybe we can also talk about Tom is is um, if you're doing something where you can't read things, you know how do you save it, and then can you start to can you read read on something when you go back to actually read something, especially a longer blog post, can you get it onto something like a Kindle or an iPad that's actually designed for reading? Well, you know, um, well, that's about 20 questions all at once, Dennis. Um, <laughs> let's talk first about, about the work situation. It's a hard question to answer because you never know what company is going to block what software. Um, if you're just at your law firm and your law firm's not blocking a lot of things, uh, it, it could be just as simple as from my standpoint, it could be just as simple as I'm, I see a website that I like, or I'm in Google reader and I find something that I like, uh, Every single browser uh, will will accept the Evernote Web Clipper. Uh, Evernote has got a web clipping tool that uh, that that is an add-in to your uh, to your browser. And all you have to do is, when you see an article that you like, you don't have to bookmark it. You hit just hit the Web Clipper, and that automatically will take you uh, will take your article into Evernote. If you instead want to go to Instapaper first or to Pocket first, um, both of those services offer what they call bookmarklets, uh, so that you can once you 
or see an article that you like, just click the bookmarklet. It automatically saves those articles into those respective services. Without knowing what your company allows or doesn't allow, it's hard for me to say that you can or can't use those tools, but there are some ways to get around it. Obviously, we could be a lot more uh, cumbersome and say that if you find an article that you like, you can always just copy and paste the link and email it to your home address and and, and then go get it when you're at home. But that's not something I'd prefer to, to recommend. Um, uh, that's that's really sort of one way that I would deal with the work issue. If we're if we're talking about other ways to uh, to to view this, certainly putting it on a Kindle uh, on an e-reader is is possible. Uh, speaking from a Kindle standpoint, uh, there are a couple of ways to do this. There used to be a service, and I I think I stopped using it. There was a service that uh, that worked in conjunction with Instapaper. Uh, I'll have to go back and look and see if it's still working. If it is, I'll put it on on, on the show notes. Um, where anytime you saved an article to Instapaper, at the end of the day would take all of those articles that you saved and it would email them to your Kindle account so that the next time you turned on your Kindle, all of those Instapaper articles would download reading for you. Now, my problem is, is that I saved so much uh, that, that I was getting lots of stuff on the Kindle and I just wasn't reading it there, so I stopped using it. But if, if you prefer to use the Kindle, that's one interesting way to do it. The good thing to realize is that you, you have a Kindle email address, whether you use Instapaper or anything else, and you can always mail things to that address and it will automatically post that information and load it onto your Kindle. I don't remember whether it's going to cost you. It has in the past cost a dime per document. I'm not sure if they've done away with that, if that still exists. I haven't done it in a long time. But um, there's certainly ways to get that information onto an e-reader if you want to. Uh, some ways are, again, a little bit, uh, take a little bit more effort than others. But uh, it's, like I said, if you have a tool like Instapaper or Pocket or some other related tool, uh, it's good to find those kinds of tools that allow you to, to put information on without going through too many steps. Yeah. And I think that time listening to us, it should be obvious to our listeners that we're both sort of nuts about how much that we, you know, read and consume and, and keep, but, but yes. all these, the question comes up in very focused. So you're doing focused research, either on a topic or, you know, in connection with something you're doing, you do want to do the same thing. So we're sort of high volume at that and sort of regular, but these, I think these techniques are really useful for, for anybody. And, and the thing that I do, Tom, that's, uh, potentially interesting to people is uh, along the Instapaper lines and getting things onto a Kindle is I use a program called Calibre, C-A-L-I-B-R-E, and that allows you to take PDFs. So again, the same sort of print as a PDF concept, uh, and then just go ahead and you can convert those into the into the .mobi format, which will go onto a Kindle, and then you put them on a folder, you connect your Kindle, and you can go in and, and actually copy them onto the Kindle. So that's that's a handy way. And then, Tom, one of, your, the, one of the things you've been experimenting with, I think, starts to become really interesting in this area, too, and that's that if this, then that tool, um, where you could say, if I star something in Google Reader, I think I can have it go right into into Evernote. But so there's some things where you can kind of automate parts of those those processes. And the other thing I, I think that, Tom, as we were talking before the podcast, I sort of, um, at this point, I I've, I've think there's probably a lot of good tools. And so the idea of looking for the perfect tool is probably pretty crazy because it's you know, because you're kind of creating a mess, you know, a mess while you while you're looking for that. And so when I hear that you're doing Evernote, I sort of say, well, maybe I'll just go the Evernote route and that will be the route that I go. And so uh, 
one of my notions is that you know maybe I should start or we should start as some kind of you know Evernote user group for lawyers so people could kind of share ideas and and uh, you know the ways they're using it. Maybe we could do that on LinkedIn or something like that where you could say. If we get like a number of people uh, who standardize on, on say Evernote, then then we can kind of share the lessons that we've learned, and and that might be a useful way as as we all try to combat this whole you know information overload thing. I I think that's a, a great idea, and and I'm looking forward to you setting up that user group, and uh, we'll participate in it uh, once it's set up. And I guess that's a standing invitation to anybody who's listening to this podcast to uh, get in touch with us, and uh, we'll tell you more about it if we decide to to, to create such a group. Uh, I, I will say I do recommend the if this then that. Uh, I, I use it all the time for a couple of different things, but but you can certainly uh, use it to move information from one place to the other. Uh, uh, and and just like Dennis described, moving from Google Reader direct into Evernote or direct into Instapaper, I think those are two of the services it works for. If you'll notice, it meets the same criteria. It it gets information from one place to the other. And I think that when we're talking about saving things in a way that uh, that's not too busy for you, I think that having tools that do those types of things is really what you want to look for to be able to not drive yourself crazy. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from our sponsors, AppRiver, PC Law by LexisNexis, and Clio. Protect your firm's email with AppRiver. Send confidential emails with confidence using AppRiver's CypherPost Pro email encryption service. With CypherPost Pro, you'll control who sees your messages, and a patented delivery slip will show you when they're received and opened. There's no hardware or software to manage. You cancel any time, and you get a 30-day free trial. All backed by AppRiver's phenomenal care. Visit AppRiver.com, that's A-P-P-River.com, or call 866-223-4645. Tired of all the headaches of running your law firm? Want to spend your time doing what really matters? Then you need PC Law. PC Law from LexisNexis is the legal industry's best-selling matter, billing, and accounting software. It has never been easier to manage your law firm and serve your clients. Get back to doing what matters to you. For a free trial, go to PCLaw.com radio. That's PCLaw.com radio. Or call us at 800-685-2161 today. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to introduce us to the world of cloud computing and how it can be beneficial to lawyers and law firms. Jack, we're hearing great things about cloud computing and its utility for law firms. Can you tell me why so many lawyers are excited about cloud computing? I think the most important thing about cloud computing from a lawyer's perspective is that it gives them the power and breadth of features that traditional desktop and server-based software uh, gives them without all of the IT overhead and inconvenience. So there's uh, all the benefits and none of the downsides of traditional desktop-based software, and they're able to focus on practicing law with a really solid cloud computing platform behind them. So I think that's where you're seeing a lot of the the excitement is they're now able to realize the, the potential of IT without all of the headaches. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. Promote yourself online with Legal Talk Network by becoming a featured lawyer. 
Your featured lawyer profile lets potential clients and referral attorneys get to know you in a five-minute podcast interview with Legal Talk Network, plus your photo, your bio, and your firm's contact info. Be part of the most progressive online legal network anywhere. Just call Legal Talk Network at 781-551-9960. That's 781-551-9960. Or by emailing admin at legaltalknetwork.com. Be a Legal Talk Network featured lawyer now. If you like listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, you might also like the podcast, Law Technology Now on LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial playing in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at LegalTalkNetwork.com. You never have enough friends or followers, right? Check out Legal Talk Network on Facebook and Twitter, LinkedIn too. And welcome back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. In the segment, which we call The Rant, we unleash Tom on a tech topic that has irritated him lately. I'll then take a devil's advocate position, which I might or might not even agree with, and Tom will come back and destroy all of my arguments. Should be fun. Tom, what's bugging you now? You know what's bugging me lately? What, what's really bothering me are blog posts by people who say that you don't need technology to be a good lawyer. Now, let me step back and explain that. There was a, a post a couple of weeks ago on a lawyer blog. The post starts talking out, uh, starts out with something that I can agree with, that whenever there is some new gadget that comes out, uh, the first thing people do is, is talk about how it has the potential to transform the practice of law. I, I agree that, that that sort of bugs me when I see that come out because something new comes out, how the Microsoft Surface will transform the practice of law for lawyers. I, I, I love how that happens, and I sort of hate it at the same time. The Post then goes on to say that they don't attend an online session that promises, that says, recommends to people, don't attend an online session that promises to teach you how to revolutionize your practice using a shiny new gadget. I agree with this too. I think there's too much junk out there, too many people trying to make a buck by generating a frenzy around technology like like the iPad, but then the author goes on in what I think is a different direction than what I would have hoped. He says, in reality, technology isn't changing much about how we practice law, and I could not disagree more with that statement. Now, I do agree that technology can't make you a better lawyer. An iPad is not going to make you a better cross-examiner in court, for example. It's not going to help you advise your clients any better. Um, This isn't the first time I've seen this argument online, and I think that's why I'm ranting about it in this episode. I'm sure it won't be the last time we see this online, but I think there's a fundamental error in the logic of the argument. I, I, I heard it first a couple of years ago when I was coming back from ABA Tech Show and somebody online was commenting, and of course that person had not been to Tech Show, so didn't understand what Tech Show was about, but they asked the question, all this technology stuff is great, but where are the sessions about how to be a good lawyer? And my response to that is, at the seminars where they teach you to be a good lawyer, because they're not mutually exclusive. They can, they, they, they're not going to necessarily happen at the exact same place. You know, technology won't make you a better lawyer, but here's where I disagree with the premise of this argument. Technology will help you provide better services to your clients, which I argue will make you a better lawyer. Having good time billing and accounting software, for example, I think is going to help you provide timely 
accurate bills for your clients. It's going to keep you out of trouble when uh, you have to manage their funds that might be in trust for them. You know, docketing software for uh, it will, is going to help you make sure that you don't miss any court deadlines, important ethical things behind that. You know, and even the basics. Email will help you be a better communicator. Uh, Word will help you create professional-looking documents, although I think some will disagree on whether lawyers can even learn how to use Word appropriately. I think that it can help you provide better services to your clients. If the statement, I think, had been technology isn't changing much about whether we're a good lawyer, I probably wouldn't be ranting about this now. But I think technology very much affects how we practice law. The right technology, the right properly used um, is going to, I think, help you in most cases provide better services to your clients, which, of course, is being part of being a good lawyer. Okay, I'm done. Shoot holes in my rant. Okay, here's the counter argument time. There was a golden era in the practice of law, as you well know. And lawyers were lawyers the way lawyers should be. And you could judge another man by looking him in the eye and and shake shake his hand. You had a secretary who was your right hand person who could, you know, do all these things for you. And you could focus on the practice of law at a nice pace and you could concentrate on justice and and things like that. And this technology thing kind of speeded things up. It's made us work harder. It's gotten us into areas that we aren't comfortable with. It's made the law change too fast. It's made, you know, our clients more irritable and expect more of us. We really need to go back to that golden era and we can and and we should and 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 the other thing i think is that when i make this argument i'm also able to buy some more time so i can secretly learn the technologies and do a better job than the lawyers i'm telling not to do technology you know here's why we can't go back to the golden era i mean i i i agree with i agree with the premise of what you're saying and it's the same as what i said before which is that uh, i don't need the latest shiny technology to be able to stand up in court and make a cogent persuasive argument to the judge i don't need an ipad in my hand to do that and if i think i do then i'm in a lot of trouble as a lawyer um however uh, i i keep thinking back to the lawyer in dallas who sued the federal district when he uh, when, when he learned that everyone was going to have to use e-filing. And the fact of the matter is, is that we cannot let certain types of technology leave us behind. Uh, it, we, we have to be able to use certain types of technology, not only to, uh, to practice law the way that the courts and our clients and opposing counsel expect us to do it, but also just to keep up with, with, with what's going on today. No, I don't believe that I need, that, that a lawyer absolutely needs technology to do certain things in the law. But I also think that they shouldn't belittle those lawyers who do believe that technology helps them better prepare themselves and provide better services to their clients. And that's all I got to say about that. And it's also an interesting time that, you know, the lawyers making those arguments are usually doing on the blogs or social media or some, you know, fairly up to date use uh, technology usage while they're then uh, they're using that platform to make this argument. So it's kind of an interesting, interesting approach. But anyway, it's time for our parting shot. That one tip website or observation that you can use a second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. 
All right, my uh, parting shot is time sensitive. It is uh, that Google is offering an online course on how to become a power searcher with Google. Uh, if you go and sign up now, we'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, the the classes begin, I believe, on Ju- July the 10th, and they end on July the 23rd. During that time, you'll need to take a couple of one-hour classes that are online, and then in between, there are actually some Google Plus Hangouts where you can meet with some of the search experts and ask questions and learn more about searching on Google. I think that uh, for anybody who wants to brush up on their Google skills, uh, I think this is a great way to do it. And it's absolutely free. And mine is, uh, I love podcasts and listen to them all the time. And so one of the the inventors of podcasting is is Dave Weiner. And um, in the early days of podcasting, it was great because there's just such a do-it-yourself element of it. And, And Dave Weiner's podcast was just a classic for that. It was, you know, as he would say, poorly recorded, unedited, and it was out there. But somehow it it allowed you to give a sense to get a sense of what the medium could become, and and then NPR, uh, Legal Talk Network, and all uh, kind of raised the standards of of professionalism for podcasts. So Dave has um, kind of appropriately this this. Uh, put up this mp3 of uh an interview with him on the history of, of podcasting which is fascinating and then in and it's it's also great because it's poorly recorded kind of hard to hear but you get the whole history of, of podcasting from the earliest days and the development of it and you know and and dave's unique insights into where podcasting is is going and and why it's it's such a great medium so if you're listening to podcasts i mean it's 40 minutes long like i said the, the audio quality is not great but some really interesting stuff. And then, uh, you know, because Dave was, has been writing a little bit about the whole notion of rebooting podcasting. And so along those lines, I also mentioned a, a really interesting blog post by Adam Curry. Yes, that's Adam Curry of MTV uh, VJ fame, who's gone on to do a lot in the world of technology. But uh, his blog is blog.curry.com, and the blog post is called Podcast Rivers in the World Online. And it's a really interesting uh, call to action about where podcasts are going and, and how we consume them. And uh, both both these things, if you like podcasts, are interesting for both about the history and for the future of podcasting. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, is available on our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or in iTunes. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episode topics, or if you want to join our new Evernote user group, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at tkmreport. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network, the premier online legal media network. Harvest this podcast and keep returning to new episodes by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report 
only on the Legal Talk Network.